Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone. So glad to see you here this Labor Day weekend. Uh, If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Colossians, so if you open those up or grab your tablet or your phone, whatever you got, Colossians chapter number two is where we will be. So Colossians, New Testament, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, This uh, week and the next couple weeks, as we study the book of Colossians, we are looking at the purpose of the church. What's the plan? What are we doing? Why do we do what, what we do? And that's what we're studying this morning. So in Colossians chapter number two, starting in verse five, the Bible says this. And Paul speaking to the church, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Last week when we started this series, I, I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I took you to verse 9. In verse 9 in chapter 1, it says, so since the day we heard it, and I paused there and said, well, what, what did he hear so we can understand? So we went back to a couple of verses before since we heard, well, he had heard about the church in Colossae. He had not visited with them personally as you look in chapter 2, but he knew of them and got a wonderful report and was so excited for what God was doing. And so Paul, led by the Spirit, writes them a letter that, that we now have, knowing this is from the Lord, to the church on how to live. And so Paul here, just as we did last week when he said, since, since I heard of it and we understood that, here Paul says in verse 4, he says, I say this and order that. And so just to kind of look back, well, what, what did Paul say? See, Paul sees the problem. The same problem then that is the same problem now. Is that there'll be those who come into the church, around the church, that will try to delude the truth of Christ. They will try to trick and to argue and to, and to get you to, they're going to give good persuasive arguments of why Christ isn't who the Bible says Christ is. So Paul, what he has done at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's saying, I say all this. He is telling the church about the mystery of Christ. If you look back to verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full insurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Probably no other place in the Bible, except for in Colossians right here, is there such a teaching on the mystery of who Jesus is. Yes, the whole Bible is about Christ. It all points to him. But in this section, at the end of chapter one, it just explodes by telling us this is the mystery of Christ. And Paul is saying, I so, church, want you to know what the mystery is. I want you to know about who Jesus is to stand firm in your faith. Why? 
Because there are those that are going to come in and they're going to try to delude you. They're going to try to trick you. The ESV says it this way. It uses the word delude. If you look at the KJV, it says so that no one would beguile you or charm you with enticing words. The NASB said that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments or even a paraphrase that they would not give well-crafted arguments. What Paul is saying, see, in this church, there were those coming in that said, yeah, yeah, Jesus is, is good, but Jesus is just a stepping stone. Jesus is the beginning block. And as you keep reading Colossians, hopefully you did this week, read the whole thing in one setting. Remember we talked about that? And then you read chapter one over and over again. All of you, all right, good, good. Uh, Maybe this week, right, read the book of Colossians. It'll be really good for you. But Paul is saying you need to be careful because it looks like there were those coming into the church who were trying to trick people trying to manipulate people so they don't know. They, they would use parts of Christ, but they would, they would then change the truth. For me, the imagery, because you know me, I'm always about imagery. I think about, if you ever have lunch with me or dinner with me, I will always order a Coke. It's just, I, I enjoy, I, I, like to, I like pop, and I'm from Michigan, so it's pop. Got it? That's what it is. Soda. All right, so Pop. Um, but what I like to do is, uh, and yesterday I went to my mom's house and I got a cup and I took, went to the fridge and I took ice and even the crushed ice and I filled up my cup to the, like crammed every bit of ice I could get into that cup. And then I took my can of Coke and I poured like this much into it. You know, it fills it all the way up and then you just wait. 13.4 seconds is the exact time. No, uh, you know, like you wait. But if you know me, and my wife was at the 8 o'clock, so I was like, she would, she would attest to this, that sometimes I do that, and then I forget. I, I, I'll go get my, my, my pop, and I'll, I'll fill it up, and ice, and the Coke, and then I walk away, and like 45 minutes later, she's like, you know you, you poured ice and a pop. Remember that? I was like, I do, 45 minutes. That's right. Then you go back to the glass. It's a little bit different, isn't it? It is, it is, the ice is gone, it's, it's separated, and if you were to take a drink of that, it, it doesn't have the taste that it should. It doesn't have the, the, the power that it should. And it reminds me of how people will attack you when it comes to Christ. Oh yes, they'll take a little bit of Jesus, but oh, they want to water it down. They want to dilute, so they want to, to, to um, modify it, or they, they, they thin it out, or they, they take away the strength. And Paul so loved the church that he didn't want that to happen. And so Paul here tells us about who Christ is. And it is jam-packed, these few verses that I'm going to read, about who the amazing Savior Jesus is. So go with me, Colossians 1, verse 15. Here's what it says. He is, speaking of Jesus, as last week we, we read about the prayer that we should be praying for each other, the prayer for the church, and at the end, Paul was like, hey, we pray with thanksgiving that we have been taken, right? We've been delivered, we've been redeemed by Jesus, In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in all things, or excuse me, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul describes who Jesus is. And as I studied this week and looked and go, how do I explain this so it's clear that the best way, the most comprehensive way that I I feel like I can explain this to you is that Paul gives us three relationships that Jesus has. He, He explains who Jesus is through three relationships. It makes sense if I were to go to you and go, well, who are you? If I were to look at your relationship with your spouse, it'd probably tell me about who you are. But look at the relationship between you and your children. It would probably tell me a little bit about who you are and what you think and what you believe. How about your coworkers? I mean, look at me, my, my wife and my son, my Pat, who works with me, Mitchell and Roy. Who I am to them during the week. Not, not just who I am standing on the stage, but who I am when I go to lunch with them. And I'm here at the, what, what does that look like? Those relationships. Many of our relationships will tell who we are. Even with, with things in this world, like I think I could probably go to your house and pull up your DVR, see what you record. It will probably tell me a little bit about who you are. And it explained that. You'd look at mine and go, you record wrestling? You're a weirdo. What are you doing? But anyways, tigers, they stink. Yes, they do, but I record them. Who you are. And so here, Paul through the Holy Spirit says, let me tell you who Jesus is. And I'm going to show you three of his relationships. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil it all right now. Here's the three relationships Paul talks of. He says, here's who Christ is in relationship to God. Here's who Christ is in relationship to all of creation. And here's who Christ is in relationship to the church. These three relationships tell us of who Jesus is. Church, we can't kind of sort of know who Jesus is. Back in chapter 2, when Paul spoke to them and said, hey, I'm telling you these things because this argument is coming. When he gets to verse 5, he says, for though I am absent in body, Paul's saying, I'm not with you. I'm with you in spirit. And then he says this, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul here uses a military term. When he says this, this firmness, when he sees this, this together, you standing in good order, it is a picture of a military. It is a picture of brothers in arms holding, standing the line. And when one goes down, the other one is right there to hold them up and to pick them up. This is a picture of the church, that we are in a constant battle And the battle is the enemy is trying to dilute, trying to deceive, trying to trick you in who Jesus really is. And this is why the church is so important. Because we come around each other. We wrap our arms around each other. We study together. We grow in God's word so we can hold each other up. Can I tell you, Google church is not the answer. We just don't go, well, I got Google, so I'll figure out the answers. No, the church is the answer. Coming together and studying together, it's so important. 
Here in the book of Colossians, we see these amazing relationships, so let's walk through them. First, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus' relationship with God. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here, as one said, Christ is the perfect, absolute, accurate image of God. He is the revelation of what God really is. In Hebrews, and what I love about the Bible is the Bible backs itself up. That when we study scripture, we don't, where else does it talk about this? When it talks about who Jesus is, it's constant. We go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the words of his power. One said Christ has always been, is, and always will be the image of God. He is the exact likeness of God. Again, one said this is not to be understood as Jesus is a mere relic of God or similar to him. Jesus, as the Bible says, is the revelation of God. Matthew one twenty three says that he is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. This is who Jesus is. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is. And you, you may say, Pastor, you're just reading scripture. Exactly. I want you to know what the scripture says about who Jesus is. Jesus was, was with his disciples, and it's in John 14. And Philip is asking him questions Show us the Father. And, and Jesus said this Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So when we look at the purpose and the plan of the church, we see who Jesus is. We see the importance of being in arms together, growing in the Lord. Because listen, if you know the Lord, Satan's going to try to trip you up. He's going to try to deceive you. And it's not a, man, that doesn't make any sense. He's going to bring deceptive, good arguments and that's why we must grow in knowing Christ. We see it everywhere. Sadly, we see it in places in, in Waterford that call themselves churches. They will use the name of Jesus. They will say, hey, we stand in Jesus' name. But when they talk about his attributes, they don't line up. Like some will say, hey, we, we follow Jesus like in the Gospels. What Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're good with those. But if Jesus didn't say it, then, then, I, then I don't know. They say, like, the red letters are what we follow. The problem is that Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, it's the red letters. This is the word from the Lord. 
This is his truth. What I find so amazing, they'll go, yeah, see the book of John, the apostle John gave us this book and tells us what Jesus said when he was here on earth. And I want to say, yeah. And then the apostle John gave, because of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation and is what Jesus says from the throne of heaven. But they don't want to take that. Why? Because we want to manipulate Jesus into what we want and not who he is. May we know who Christ is. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. But to know Jesus... One of the commentaries I was reading said he came across a recipe for rabbit stew. It's an older commentary, all right? Anybody having rabbit stew today? Anybody? No? All right. Rabbit stew, and he says, the recipe. The recipe starts out, it says this, first catch the rabbit. A relationship with God starts with Christ. We don't start with who Christ is, we will end up a mess. In this battle that we are in, 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I like what John MacArthur says He says this, he is the full, final, and complete revelation of God. He is God in human flesh, and to think anything less of him is blasphemy. May we stand on Jesus, and who is Jesus? We see who Jesus is in his relationship to God. The scripture goes on to say this in verse 15, the second part. It says, he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Here we see the relationship with Jesus and creation. What, is, what do we see? Well, first it says, he is the firstborn of creation. So again, some people who will try to manipulate scripture will say, see, Jesus is not eternal. He was firstborn. There, he, he, he had to start. And, and, and you look, and when you study this passage, you can even look at the Old Testament, and there are times when it refers to the firstborn, like Jacob and Isaiah, and I believe even David. They weren't the firstborn in their family. What firstborn is pointing to is firstborn is pointing to the rank of Christ. He's number one. He's of preeminence. He's of the most important in Revelation, we studied, Jesus said, as God did in the, in the Old Testament, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Christ is eternal. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus was at the temple, it's a very interesting conversation that takes place with Pharisees and some who believe. It's a very intense conversation. 
maybe even leading to an argument. Like there are, there are, if you're in that room, you're, everybody's feeling in, uncomfortable. You're like, oh man, what's that? Oh, what are they going to say? It is intense. So this weekend, I encourage you to read it. John chapter 8. Jesus begins to speak, and the Bible says, somebody says, no, you're a liar. Whenever you throw out liar, it gets interesting. Jesus continues to talk. He begins to talk about the Father. And it seems like in this passage, they say, hey, Jesus, we know who our Father is. Who's your Father? Because your mom, what, oh, that's right, wasn't with Joseph, was it? And it seems like, just like in our arguments, what do they do? They take a stab at the person. And they say, hey, Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality. But it seems like they're saying, but you were, right? Because Mary, they didn't understand this was from the Lord. And so from their human corrupt minds, they went, oh, see, we know what happened. But they were missing the truth. So Jesus went on talking. Then one of them used really a racial slur. They, used, they called him a Samaritan. Why? The Jews thought the Samaritans were the dirt of the earth. And they said, hey, Jesus, you're filled with a demon. I told you, it's an interesting, intense conversation happening. And then at the end of the chapter, Jesus said to them, truly, Truly, I say to you, before Abraham, now if you're not a churchy, you may not know Abraham in Genesis. He's the father of the Israelites. He's at the very beginning of your Bible. Father Abraham had many sons, right? And so the Jewish line came from Abraham. And so they just looked to him as the hero. And here Jesus says, just so you know, Abraham was glad that I came before Abraham. And Jesus says this, I am. Here's Jesus saying, I'm eternal and I am God. And they all responded really well to Jesus saying this. The Bible says they picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because Jesus is the firstborn. He is the highest rank. He is eternal. He is the Alpha and Omega. And as we keep reading, he is the creator. All things were created in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible. What I believe Paul is arguing here that there were people that went, yeah, Jesus is a good stepping stone. You know, we see creation, but then there was those things you don't see like angels and those powers. And they were claiming like we have, we're part of the angelic powers. And so Paul is saying, no, no, you have to understand, this is all created by God. This is all under the Lord. Angels created by Christ. Thrones, principal, what you can see, what you can't see is all under God. And then it says, and it's all for him. It is for his glory. Romans 11, a verse I read often that says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So you see Jesus as the creator. As you keep reading, it says he's the sustainer. It says all things he holds together. I read the statement. I thought it was great. He says, 
Christ created the cosmos instead of chaos. He is who guides and governs. He is supreme in creation. Everything began with him and will end with him. This is the Lord. Christ in relation to creation, he is number one. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. I read some stats on creation that we know as humans, like the sun. I was reading and studying and came across the sun. You know, the sun could hold 1.3 million planets the size of earth. There's another star that has the diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the earth's orbit. The sun travels, the light of the sun, sunlight travels at 186,000 miles per second. It takes 8.5 minutes to reach earth. And it would take more than four years to reach the nearest star. That is some 24 trillion miles from here. We look at earth and it rotates perfectly. That if it was too fast or too slow, we'd all be in trouble. The moon is placed by the Lord because if it was closer, the tides would destroy the ground. It takes us all to a place of Psalms 19.1 that says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It is why in Romans chapter 1, it says none are with excuse. Why? Because they perceive God's creation. And so this morning as we gather together, if you know the Lord, may we slow down and go, he is worthy. He is God. He deserves all praise. And in my life that gets so distracted, may I stop and go, God, may I stop and worship you because you deserve all praise. So Christ, in relationship to God, in relationship to creation, and lastly, Christ in relationship to the church, says in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Throughout the New Testament, it describes the church in different ways. It describes it as family or a kingdom or a vineyard or a flock or a building or a bride. But here it describes the church, the people of Christ, how they are joined together, that we are one body and there is the head. Who is that? This is Jesus he is, in whose, he is who is in charge. He rules. Years and years ago, some 20 years ago, maybe before that, I was an intern here. I, I led the middle school kids. We went to camp one summer, and we took the camps to a beach in Rogers City, and we took the kids to the beach, and they were all swimming in the water, and they looked at the big rock wall that goes way out in the water, like, hey, let's go climb out way out there, and we could jump off the rocks. Okay. I'm an intern. I don't know anything. So they go out on the rocks and they're jumping in the water. And then they look on the other side of the rocks. In Rogers City, there's the bay with all the boats and all the boats are coming in. So there's these huge docks, like some 20 feet out of the water. And they thought, you know what would be awesome? Because they're high schoolers. What if we swam over to those docks, climbed up, we could jump 20 feet off the docks into the water. This would be awesome. 
Again, I was an intern. I didn't know anything. So I remember that day, kids are jumping off the dock. It looks really fun. I didn't go. Uh, And I look out, and this cop car comes, lights flashing, flying into the park's parking lot, comes in there, and he comes running out there. He's got the deputy. It was really funny now, thinking about it. Uh, He walks all the way out in the rock wall, and I remember I'm standing there, and he looked and goes, who's in charge here? It was such a wonderful day, because I went, he is. He's the youth pastor. I'm an intern. I'll never forget that cop walked up to him and said, who's in charge here? And he goes, I am, sir. And he looked at him and goes, who's in charge of you? Hey, church, who's in charge here? Jesus. He's the one who's in charge. We follow Christ. And we want to know him more and more. That's why we don't get sick of talking about him, sick of studying about him, because Jesus is the awesome God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. And we are nothing without him. And so if somebody asks you, hey, who leads the River Church? You can tell them, hey, this isn't about a denomination. It isn't about a guy. It isn't about a pope. It isn't about Peter. It is about Jesus. He is who we follow. May we seek to know Jesus, to follow him. We see his relationships here. This week, on Wednesday, I uh, met with a man in the church who just had a Bible study together, and he thinks it's for him, but it's, I love it. I mean, I'm, just, I'm reading the Bible, we're talking, it's wonderful. So we went to this passage in Ecclesiastes, Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter number five. And I just started reading it. It's what I I love when the Lord does this. Like he sometimes when you're reading scripture, it just he just makes it new. He just I mean it just it comes as a laser to your heart. It just explodes in you. I started reading and Ecclesiastes five says this guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. And I was reading, I felt like the Lord just looked at me and went, like, just, just, just to sit. Sometimes we think, I got to talk to God. I got to tell him this. I got to really tell God what to do here. And I think sometimes God just goes, no, just be quiet. Just know, I'm in heaven. I love you more than you love yourself. And sit and to listen and to know who God is and just rest in the almighty God. Instead of we think, I got the words, I got it, I can figure it out. No, no, he's got it figured out. Go to him and rest in him. These relationships are amazing. Toward the end of this, in verse 18, it says that in everything, he might be preeminent. That in everything in our life, He may be first. 
Sometimes we do, a lot of times we do this. We put God here and then we list the things underneath. No, no. God's first in all of it. He's first in your marriage, first in parenting, first in your job, first in your play, first in whatever it is. This is where we need to place God. Colossians 3.17 says it this way. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to God the Father through him. May we lead this morning if we know Christ praising him. Praising him that he is the Lord God. Praising him that he is the creator and the sustainer. And without him, this all falls apart. Praising him that he is the head of the church. He is the power. He is the purpose. And through him, we have a plan. And I love how this section of scripture wraps up in verse 21. It says, and you. It says, and you. It talks about Jesus. And now it says, and you. You who were once alienated. You who were once hostile in mind and doing evil things. He has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because of Jesus, we may be saved. Because Christ came as the head of the church, he came and he died on the cross because he is perfect. And he took the perfect He took the wrath of God, God's perfect justice upon him for my sins. And we can know him as Savior if we will confess him as Savior. So church, as we talk about the purpose and plan, please see that as we study God's word, to try to walk with Jesus without the arms of the church wrapped around you is foolish. That we need the church. We study together. We grow in God's word. Why? Because there's a battle. They're going to try to trick you. There's a manipulation and may we run back to his word. May we trust Jesus. Will you stand with me, please? Listen, every... I can't think of a time that I've preached in I don't know how many months that I just want to offer you. If you're here and the Holy Spirit is convicting you to, and you know you, you've heard about Jesus taking little truths about Jesus, but if you're honest and in your heart, you know I've never trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know about the cross. I've liked it. I come to church, but I know in my heart the Holy Spirit is working. I have never said, Christ, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and save me. 
If that's what the Lord is doing in your heart, don't turn away. The right now this morning, you can trust him right where you're at. Listen, I don't do this often, but I'm just going to ask if we, as we're joining together, let's just bow our heads. Church, will you pray? Maybe pray for somebody in here who's battling right now. But if you're in here and say, Pastor, that's me. When you talked about truly following Jesus, I've, I've done the game, but I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Like, Lord, I've said a prayer, did a baptism, got confirmed. But when we're talking about Christ as Savior, I've never done that. And I want to do that this morning. So if that's you, would you just look at me and go, Pastor, that's me this morning. Just look me in the eye. Go, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Okay. Awesome. So if that's you, that's a bunch of you. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth to be real. It's not a special prayer. But in your seat, all you need to do is pray this. If you mean it, Christ, I believe in you. Christ, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. Please forgive me of my sins and save me that I may be a child of God. And if you prayed that, if you told the Lord that this morning you're real, today's the best day of your life. It's to know Christ. He changes everything, not in a kind of sort of way. He changes everything. I encourage you, if that's you, you need to tell somebody. Because if Christ saves you, you can't keep it quiet. You can't just like, oh, no, no, no. If Christ saves you, you got to tell somebody. And that may be somebody next to you in the crowd. Go, man, listen, I just accepted Christ. You may be like, I don't know that person. Listen, if they know the Lord, they're going to be jumping up and down with you. You want to wait after I'll be sitting up here and you say, Pastor, I accepted Christ and I will rejoice with you. I will cry with you. And we will praise the Lord for his salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure grateful for the Holy Spirit who moves in our life. I thank you this morning. people moved by the Holy Spirit. Lord, accepted you as Savior. May we be a church that praises you. In Jesus' name.